Is everybody doing all right this morning? Where's my rent and retreat people at? Oh, yeah. Where's my non-winter retreat people at? All right. Love for both of y'all. So as Pastor Trent just mentioned, we've been talking about barriers all weekend. And we've looked at some stories in the Bible where there's powerful moments where God's people broke through barriers. And as Pastor Trent said that first night, we talked about the barriers between us and God. And just to bring everybody who hasn't been here at Winter Retreat up to speed where we're at today, we talked about the barriers of our sin and our shame and our guilt and how all that was taken care of on the cross. When Jesus said it was finished, he meant those words. Last night we talked about breaking the barriers between us and our identity. We looked at Ephesians 2 verse 10 that says, you are God's masterpiece created to do good works in Christ Jesus. And that goes for every single person in this room. And today we're talking about culture. Culture is one of those buzzwords in today's society. And so I think it's really important that we know what it is and what we're called to do to it. Born in 18th century Britain, at a time when Christianity was fading from popularity, and the social current was filled with drunkenness, hate, crime, and selfish living, with no politeness or manners, William Wilberforce was born into a rich, elite family. Now, when William's father died and his mother took ill, they sent him to go live with his aunt and his uncle, who, unknown to the rest of the family, was a strong Methodist family. And they raised William in the wake of the Wesley revivals and the preaching of George Whitfield. And he developed a moral compass unlike many men in his day and age. At a time where slavery was the norm in England, William took to a life of politics. Many of us know about how slavery gripped the United States And how eventually a civil war under the presidency of Abraham Lincoln would bring that to an end. But before it it was a death sentence here in the United States with a grip on culture, it was part of British life. And so William Wilberforce knew that God had given him a fire to change culture. In his diary, he wrote these following words. God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Now, the word manners 250 years ago doesn't mean what we think it means today. William wasn't talking about keeping your elbows off the table and saying, excuse me, every time you pass gas, okay? Manners that he was talking about involved a complete lack of morality in society. Child labor, alcoholism, prostitution, sex trafficking were all a part of British life. Public acts of cruelty to animals. Hangings, usually followed by public dissection, were means of entertaining drunken crowds. I'm not trying to be gross this morning. I just want to give you a little bit of context in the world that William was born into. So he would use his political and social position to teach the upper classes about loving your fellow man and caring for others. He would use his platform in parliament to make reforms and influence culture. It was a huge task, not just physically, but spiritually. In fact, just days before John Wesley, the great hymn writer, passed away, he wrote a letter to Wilberforce. And it said, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God 
and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish before it. Then in 1807, at 48 years old, William helped pass a bill through Parliament that abolished the slave trade. He also continued his quest to make goodness fashionable. That was his mantra. And he taught that through his living, we were blessed to be a blessing. The dramatic shift that happened in England's culture has been described as one of the greatest accomplishments in all of history. And just a few days before his death in 1833, he got news that slavery had been officially outlawed by Parliament. William Wilberforce demonstrated how one life can truly change culture. So today I want to talk about breaking through the barriers between us, the church, and culture at large. So first off, I want to define what culture is. Culture is defined as the sum of attitudes, customs, and beliefs that distinguishes one group of people from another. It's the undercurrent of society, the way of life. So, for instance, in Washington, D.C., the culture is rooted in government and in politics, two things I know very little about. But in Nashville, the culture is rooted in country music, barbecue, and the Nashville Predators, a few things I know a lot about. Maybe the culture here in Fredericksburg surrounds a few things that are coming to your mind right now. Culture is the current of life. It's what makes your world go around. So when you look at the world that we live in today, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of a post-Christian culture. Do you guys agree with that? 50 years ago, it was a different age. But since the mid-1960s when the Supreme Court ruled that school-sponsored Bible reading and prayer was unconstitutional, we've had a slow burn away from the central thought that the U.S. was a Christian nation. Our society has become maybe more spiritual than ever, but we are less Christian than ever. In fact, in a recent Newsweek article entitled Spirituality in America, they found that roughly 80% of Americans consider themselves spiritual people, but only a third go to church every Sunday. So somewhere down the line, there's a disconnect between spirituality and Christianity and a Jesus lifestyle. According to Gabe Lyons' book, The Next Christians, it's going to take a new type of believer to reach the day and age that we live in. Now, he identifies two types of Christians that, by and large, he grew up with and the same people that I grew up with, and I would call myself in both of these categories. It's separatists and, and cultural Christians. Separatists have this mindset, they know that we're in the world and not of the world, and so they just take that second part really to heart. An extreme example of this would be the Amish. Um, they have a huge desire and a pure desire to live a holy life, and so they separate themselves from the rest of culture, and they live in their own community, they build their own houses, and they don't have anything to do with progressive society. This is extreme, but you might know some people that would identify as separatists in your schools, in your workplaces, and sadly, sometimes even among us here in church. See, in high school, I sat with my Christian friends. I only hung out with people that believed what I did. And I'm sad to say, as I look back, I may have missed out on the very mission field that God placed me in, surrounded by unbelievers. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
So we can't ignore the lost and live completely separate from the people that we're called to bring Jesus to. Now, the other type of Christian life that Gabe Lyons identifies is cultural Christians. And there's two sides to this coin. Cultural Christians can be the type of believers that if you looked at their life and the life of an unbeliever, you wouldn't even really know the difference because they really want to be relevant to the point where they do every single thing that somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus would do in hopes of reaching them. Or the other side of that is we do everything that Jesus taught. We believe in a social justice gospel. So, you know, we'll go out and we'll feed the poor and we'll work on, you know, widows and orphans and take all of those scriptures to heart, but we don't necessarily make Jesus the king of our life. We do everything that exists in the kingdom of God, but we don't want to put a king on that throne. We mostly do it to be seen and not to be obedient, right? And this is a hard message this morning because it hits home. This is the kind of Christian that I was in college. I did everything that my non-church friends would do to fit in. And I told myself maybe someday they'll think I'm cool enough and I can actually reach them with the gospel. But they became a huge influence on my life and I became a very small influence on theirs. And then after college, I just really got into missions. And I started doing all these things that I thought Jesus would want me to do, but I never really sought him. I was just busy. I wasn't a believer. Corey Ten Boom says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. These type of people Jesus calls whitewashed tombs. See, in his day and age, there were these guys called Pharisees, and they, they went around and they put on their religious gear, and they would always fast and pray in public, and they wanted to look really good to everybody else, but in the secret and in the quiet place, they were messed up. And Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs in Matthew chapter 23. You're pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. My dad, he was a dairy farmer growing up in Pennsylvania. And so he gave me a little different lens to look at the whitewashed tomb. He actually, they whitewashed barns. And so he would take care of a lot of cows. And every couple of years, cows make a pretty big mess in those barns. And instead of cleaning it all off on the walls, they would just paint it white so that it looked really pretty. And behind that nice and pretty white paint were layers and layers of filth. But then there's a third type of Christian that Gabe Lyons writes about in his book. He calls these people restorers. These next Christians who have an authenticity that is shining through in a world that's desperate to see the light of heaven. Believers that change their culture while never compromising their faith. Maybe you've heard of some of these believers. William Wilberforce was one of these people. Another person is Scott Harrison. Uh, Scott Harrison was a nightclub promoter in New York City, spent most of his nights drinking and wasting himself away on drugs. Then he goes to a party down in Brazil, and at the end of that party, even as it was still going on in the early morning hours the next day, he just starts to realize, man, I'm completely utterly bankrupt, spiritually, morally, and physically. And he started to ask himself, surely there's got to be a better way to live. So he joins this crew called Mercy Ships, and he starts going on this year-long mission. And on this trip, he goes to Liberia, and he discovers that 
Most of the sickness that's happening in Africa is due to unclean drinking water. So he comes back to New York City, and he promotes one more party, and he gets 700 people out. And he says, if all of you guys can give $20 to the party, that'll get you in. So he raised close to $15,000, and instead of keeping the money and spending it on himself, he goes back to Africa, and he planted three clean water drinking wells, and he restored three more. And thus, Charity Water was born. Check out this video. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. And you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Scott Harrison is another example of one life that can truly impact culture. That video came out a year and a half ago, and today they have over 25,000 water projects bringing clean water to over 7 million people. You guys, we were created to change the world. And here's the thing. Jesus was all about impacting and influencing culture. He was born 2,000 plus years ago at a time where the world was filled with mythology. There were gods for everything under the sun. And religious leaders who did claim to be living over the one true God were the, these whitewashed tombs for the most part that he addressed. He showed up at a pretty messy time in history. But he didn't run away from it. He ran right into the tension of it. And he flipped the world upside down. He brought a new culture Jesus often taught using these words, you have heard it said, then he'd say an Old Testament law, but then he goes, but I tell you now, you have heard it said to love your neighbor, but I tell you to love your enemy. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, if anyone slaps your face, turn to him the other cheek. He was giving us a new culture. He was going after our hearts and not just our actions. And he brought along 12 disciples made up of fishermen, political activists, a doctor, and a tax collector. And he taught them the ways of heaven and how to live a life of discipleship. And the book of Acts said that these 12 men turned the world upside down. And here we are 2,000 years later, and the church is still called to be a setter of culture. And it's happened throughout the centuries. Church has been known as a center for creativity and culture. Go back to the Middle Ages, and you see this Renaissance period. And you have incredible art being created and commissioned by the church by guys like Michelangelo and Raphael. And no, they're not just Ninja Turtles. They were incredible artists commissioned by the church. Then you go on to the 17th and 18th centuries, and you have these amazing hymn writers who were culture setters of music in their day and age. John and Charles Wesley, Fanny Crosby, P.P. Bliss, many whose songs we still sing every single Sunday across the world. As Christians, we're called to be lead innovators, artists, teachers, civil leaders, 
and the list goes on and on. You see, I get inspired when I see athletes like Russell Wilson and Tim Tebow boldly sharing the gospel. I get excited when I see bands like Need to Breathe and Switchfoot taking the gospel into the darkest music venues across the country. Even in Hollywood, my friends, there's a, there's a renovation happening. Movies like The Passion, Noah, Chronicles of Narnia, blockbusters that have brought the gospel message to millions. Today, with everything that we have available to us, we have this huge opportunity to create and influence culture. So let's make sure that we don't adapt to it. How? We've got to rip down these barriers that separate us. Quite frankly, we need to throw away this us and them mentality. We need to quit living in fear, tear down the walls that we've built, and invite others not just to watch our lives at a distance, but to walk alongside of us like Jesus did. Build friendships with those who God has placed in our circles. Stop hanging out with those who just look, think, talk, and act just like us. I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, to not just put yourself in a safety bubble, but go out and start a conversation with someone different. Jesus did this all the time. In fact, he was often criticized with hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I love this story of Jesus breaking cultural barriers in John chapter 4. He encounters this woman at the well. You guys can follow along with the story here. Now, he had gone through Samaria. So he came to a town called Samaria, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So in the Jewish culture, he's going to a very sacred spot. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman says to him, catch this, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, Jews and Samaritans did not coexist. In fact, the Jews thought of the Samaritans as half-breeds. Like Harry Potter would call these people in the, that world mudbloods, right? You know? One person got that. Is that. Was that the right term? Okay, cool. So here's the deal. Jesus and the Jewish people were not supposed to associate with Samaritans. But he broke down that cultural barrier, and he talked to this lady, and he changed her life forever. Because it goes on to say, he basically calls her out on all of her sin and tells her there's a better way to live. And she goes back to her town, and that entire town comes to faith in Jesus because of one conversation. And that's how Jesus works. One conversation, breaking down cultural norms, can truly change everything. The wells in ancient Israel were kind of like coffee houses today. It's, it's where people hung out. So this wasn't a secret place. Jesus did this in the wide open. Don't limit your Christian influence to people who already know Christ. Bring it to the world who does not know him. Jesus said that those were the ones he came for. One of my favorite verses in the book of Mark is 2, verse 17. It says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners 
So how do we bring our culture to the kingdom? We live as apostles. Now, that word might bring a lot of different things to mind. But in ancient Rome, at the time where Paul was writing these letters and the apostles were going out, this word apostle was literally people in Rome that were sent out to conquered lands to establish Roman culture in those lands. Who's a big fan of the movie Gladiator? It's one of my favorite all-time movies. And the opening scene takes place in modern-day Germany. And Rome is conquering all of these lands, and Germany was one of them. And every time Rome conquered a land, the emperor would send out these people called apostles. And they were going to make Rome everywhere. They were establishing Roman culture in all of these conquered lands. So Jesus, being the genius that he was, takes that term, flips this on its head, and makes it about the kingdom of God. And he says, take this kingdom culture, take this heavenly way of life, and be apostles. Remember in the Great Commission, he says to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, go and make disciples. He's sending us out as apostles. Just like Jesus flipped the script on law and religion, he redefined culture by sending these people out. And it's interesting to me that after the book of Acts, we never see the word disciples. We see this word apostles. Heaven's culture. It's a culture that says, the greatest among you will be a servant of all. That's backwards thinking, isn't it? You're blessed to be a blessing. It's better to give than to receive. Love one another. In fact, he says, love one another for this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. If you live a life that stands out, people will start to ask you what you're living for. So I want to highlight just a few ways that we can start doing that when we walk out these doors today. For starters, we have to quit retreating. The church is not meant to be a bomb shelter where we just go for safety, but it's meant to be a lighthouse helping guide people through the storms of life. Can we be a lighthouse for the world? Speak the language of your community. And I'm not saying for one second to compromise anything that we believe about this faith. But when you speak people's language, you can share the gospel in a way that they understand. Check out this story. 200 years ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They bought tickets to the mission field without the return half. One-way tickets. Instead of suitcases, they would pack coffins full of all of their belongings. And as they sailed away, they waved to their families Goodbye, many knowing that they'd never return home. A.W. Milne, who existed from 1785 to 1822, was one of these missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, aware that the headhunters there had martyred every missionary that had gone before him. But he didn't fear his life because he'd already given it away. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, Milne lived among that tribe. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Milne had dedicated his life to a culture that didn't know Jesus. He learned their customs. He learned their language, and he introduced them to Jesus. So instead of adapting to whatever's happening around us in hopes of reaching it, let's influence culture. We have this phrase we say a lot, and it's criticized by creating. 
It's easy for us to see what's happening in the world. But let's do something about it. Let's make better movies. Let's write better songs. Live better lives. Speak with better language. Show people a better way to live. And you can change culture. Makes me think of the movie uh, Trolls. Now, I told everybody that are in a winter retreat, I've got three and a five-year-old, Nora and Moses. So they make me watch all these kids' movies, okay? But I love the movie Trolls, uh, not only because I have to watch it four times a week. Remember I told you, they get, my kids get on this kick where they have to watch the same movie every single day for like three months. And so we're watching this movie Trolls, and Poppy is my, my daughter's, she's my daughter's hero. She dressed up as Poppy, and she has her costume. She wears it around the house. And then there's Bridget. Now, Bridget's a Bergen. And there's two different cultures at play here, if you watch the movie. In the trolls' culture of life, they do three things. They sing, they smile, and they give hugs. Okay. My daughter Nora rarely smiles, sings, and gives hugs. So I'm hoping Poppy rubs off on her. But in the Bergens' culture, they're never happy. They're always miserable. There's only one day a year where they think they can find happiness by eating the trolls. It doesn't look so good for Poppy. But somehow Poppy helps the trolls escape on this certain day, and she ends up befriending Bridget here, also known as Lady Glitter Sparkles. And she shows her that there's a better way of life, that they can find happiness, not just by eating the trolls, but by finding it inside their hearts. Pretty smart tactic. She ends up changing the Bergen's culture, and they find joy at the end of the movie. Show people a better way of life, and you can change culture. I love what St. Francis of Assisi says. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. That's a life that shines the light of Jesus everywhere it goes. There's a mantra that I try to operate by. It says, operate in the opposite spirit. That's how you change culture. You fight pride with humility. You fight anxiety by being a peacemaker. You fight competition with collaboration. If you see somebody that's being bullied, you step in as a peacemaker. If you're surrounded by people that make fun of other with their words, you speak life. Without Jesus, you guys, our efforts are just pointless. We'll always fall short. But as I said yesterday, we do have a high priest who can sympathize with everything that we've gone through. And in fact, that high priest, he prayed for you. He prayed that even though you're in the world, you wouldn't have to be of it. In John chapter 17, verses 13 through 20, Jesus says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. He's praying to his heavenly father. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. It's so interesting to me that Jesus' prayer before his crucifixion is not for himself necessarily, but for us. It goes on to say in this very chapter that this prayer is not only for those who are with him, but for everyone 
who would believe in the name of Jesus. That prayer was for us today. And he constantly is saying throughout John 17, I'm not taking them out of the world. They're in the world. They're just not of it. And my prayer, God, is that as they're in the world, you would protect them. He's commissioning in this chapter. We've been given everything we need through Christ to be influencers of culture. But this word sanctify, it's a big deal. Has the same root as consecration. It means set apart. We talked about this last night, remember? It's the being in but not of the world. Let me make this a little personal. About six months ago, uh, my family and I stepped out of an incredible church in Washington, D.C., and we took this cultural commission to heart. Let's check out this video. Hi, my name is Curtis Parks. And I'm Sarah Parks. And we are the founding pastors of a new church plant in Nashville, Tennessee, coming fall of 2018. It's called Bridges Nashville. Now, Nashville is one of the most moved to cities in the United States. In fact, some estimates say about 100 people a day are moving to the city. And what we've seen in a lot of metropolitan areas is that over the last few decades, as the population of people has doubled and tripled in size, the presence of the church has steadily decreased. And so we are going to the heart of urban Nashville to plant a gospel-centered, community-driven church dedicated to helping the people of Nashville discover the love of God, the hope of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do this in three distinct ways. Relationship, discipleship, and worship. Now, that last one, worship, that's pretty close to my heart. For the last 20 years, I've been a worship leader. One thing I've seen is that in times of musical worship, that's where God's presence and His people connect. You see, Bridges is going to be a church rooted in the presence of God. And out of that, everything else will spring forth. We really believe that one moment in His presence can change everything. So we want to inspire and challenge people to live lives both corporately as the church and individually of authentic worship. So why the name Bridges? Well, it's a beautiful metaphor for who we're called to be as disciples of Christ. I mean, a bridge is, is built with roots that go down deep. It's built to connect places that are far from each other. And it's built to last through any storm that life can bring. I look at the cross as probably the greatest bridge of all time, connecting God's people to his presence. So we're going to need your help as we step out and plant this church and build bridges. Here's how you can help. Number one, pray. Can I ask you to pray with us as we step out in faith, believing that God is going to do something new and fresh in the heart of Nashville? Number two, give. Hey, if you don't think you can come and be a part of this, you can still give online. If this video has stirred your faith, I want to invite you to go and check out bridgesnashville.org, click on the give page, and invest in this God-given dream to see people revitalized in the heart of Nashville. And all of your donations are 100% tax deductible. Number three, go. Hey, if you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself, man, I need a new adventure with God, and you love people, you love music, and hey, even if you love barbecue, Nashville is a great place to be. Matthew 9 says, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Let's not let that be the case with Nashville, Tennessee. So can we invite you both to pray and give as well as possibly go? You can keep up with everything that's happening in Bridges if you go to our social media pages. And also, I want to invite you to check out BridgesNashville.org.
where God's presence and his people connect. For us, it's all about impacting culture. Nashville is a cultural mecca right now, the most moved to city in the United States. I know most of you guys are asking two questions. And to answer one of those, this is what happens when I forgot to shave this morning. Okay. That's the same person. And the second question is, how in the world did he score her as his wife? Okay. That's the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. But it's all about impacting culture for us. My prayer is that someone, maybe a bunch of someones in this room will take this call to heart. What fires you up in this world? And what will you do about it? Like Scott Harrison, who got fired up that many people in the world were dying because they didn't have access to clean water. He did everything he could and is still doing something to impact it. We see a lot of injustice in this world. And Jesus tells us, don't run from it, run straight to it and bring the kingdom to it. What will you do about it? Like William Wilberforce, it's going to take a lot of prayer, and I believe that that prayer will lead to action. So I want Brett and the band to come back up, and we're going to sing a song that's about that very thing of sanctifying ourselves. That word sanctify, it means to set yourself apart. And so as we sing this next song that's rooted in Psalm chapter 84, it's a chapter where David writes, better is one day in the house of God than a thousand anywhere else. David was a culture setter. He changed the nation of Israel, but he always started by filling himself up in God's presence before he went out to the world. And it's only in God's presence that we can truly be filled, that we can truly find calling and impact culture. So God, I just thank you for this message and I pray that it would fall on good soil today. Lord, I pray that people haven't been hearing my words, but they've been hearing the words of the Holy Spirit just through me. God, we know that we're called to not just separate ourselves from the world, but to truly impact it according to your prayer in John chapter 17. God, would you protect us? Would you empower us? And would you enable us? As you place us in this day and age for this specific time, every single person in this room was placed in this particular area at this particular time, not by mistake, but on purpose. God, I believe that there's many people in this room that they have given dreams that have heaven in them. Dreams to see this world come to know you. We know that a light will shine darkest, will shine brightest in the darkest place, God. And the beautiful thing about light is that darkness can never put it out. Light will always win. So here we are, God. We ask that you would sanctify us this morning as we set ourselves apart for you, for the calling you've placed on us to impact this world. God, would you help us to break away the barriers that keep us from our God-given calling? You prayed in Matthew 6, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as in heaven. God, we know that a life of following after your son Jesus isn't all about just living safely and one day dying and going to heaven. It's about living dangerously for the gospel. So God, would you stir it up in our hearts? 
Would you set a fire in our hearts today, God, to live all out for you and for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.